Whenever you talk about money in the church, it gets the hackles up of every demon in hell. There's a few things that make the devil more mad than normal. He's always bad, but some things that really, really irritate him. He doesn't like people being water baptized, so we baptize people. He doesn't like people being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking with a heavenly language because it bypasses him out of the story. So we pray for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they do. And he doesn't like people prospering in the kingdom of God. So we preach on money and prosperity. I know some churches, some people have pulled away from prosperity. But we're pulling towards prosperity. God wants to prosper his people. God's got a purpose for prosperity. God wants your prosperity more than you want it. The Bible says he takes great pleasure in your prosperity. He leaves us in no doubt about his desire for us. He is a good father. Say with me, God God. is a good father. Good Good fathers fathers. love Love. to bless their children. children. In fact, you you have to repeat this, but you have to distort the Bible and the gospel to come up with some harebrained idea that God wants people poor. It's totally illogical. Heaven is a picture of God's plan and heaven is not poor. Jesus is a picture of God's plan and Jesus wasn't poor. Creation is a picture of God's plan and creation is certainly not poor. I'm a picture of God's plan. And I'm certainly not poor. So we're going to talk today about prosperity. And by the time I'm finished, God's going to give you an upgrade today. How many people really want an upgrade in prosperity? It's not a trick question. So why do I say that? Because as we lift our hand, it's a signal to God that we're ready for revelation and increase. We're hungry. Three things I've talked about or I'm going to talk about. This is the third week. First week, giving connects me to the flow. We talked about the first roots in Jericho. When God's people came into the promised land, which is a picture of the kingdom of God, the first city they came to was? Well done, Jericho. Jericho is a picture of first roots. And God, God said to the children of Israel, Jericho is mine, don't touch it. Everything that's in Jericho is mine. It's a first root. It belongs to me. God doesn't do second. Say with me, God doesn't do second. That's right. God does first. The first belongs to God. It establishes God as the spiritual head over our lives. So we said the first week that when the first fruit is in the right hands, the rest never runs out. When I give my, sorry, not give, we don't give when I return is a better word. When I return, see, you don't give money to pay a debt off. It's not I'm giving you a tip, giving you a present. I'm returning what belongs to you. So I return the tithe to God and say, God, you're the spiritual head of my life. All that I am, all that I'm responsible for, I place myself under you. You are my head. As I give you, return the tithe to you, you assume leadership over my life. You are my border, my protection. You rebuke the devourer, everything I own continues to work. It never breaks down. It doesn't run out. You give me opportunities. You pour out 
the windows of blessing. That's your job. My job is to submit and make you king and lord. Christians that have issues with tithing, I don't understand. It's so clear from the garden. Our tithing's under the law. No, from the garden, God said, that tree's mine. With Abraham, right through the scripture, God has always established the tithe so we would acknowledge him as the head of our life. And the miracle is that God allows us to have 90%. And not only that, that he takes that 90% and he breathes upon it and multiplies it so we end up with more than what we began with. It's the loaves and the fishes. We give what we have. The boy gives the loaves and the fishes to Jesus. Jesus blesses it and multiplies it, gives it out, and the boy goes home with 12 baskets full of loaves and fishes. It doesn't make sense. But when I honour God and make him spiritual head, I always get more than what I started with. God is a God that always gives more than he gets. See, he's a father. Fathers always give more to their children than their children give to their fathers. And that's the way it should be. So week one, I connect myself to to a spiritual head. My God is my head. I connect myself to the divine flow. You can tithe. So you can not tithe and God will still love you. You'll go to heaven. It's all wonderful. But if you want to connect to the flow of God when it comes to finances, there is only one way. See, being a Christian doesn't qualify you for the release of the flow. Being obedient qualifies you for the flow. So I connect into the flow. I make him head of my life. If not, what you do is you come over this side and you live in the earth curse system, which is toil, sweat, hard work, dog eat dog, rip each other off, strive, worry, anxious, as Keith said today. But in God's kingdom, it's rest. It's God doing the work and we're doing the rest. Secondly, the week after we talked about being connected to the flow and now increasing the flow. As I connect to the flow, God begins to work through me. But it's my job as a partner to increase the way I think. See, God's trying to bring a flow to you. But if you have small thinking, if you think negative, if you think small-minded, if you don't enlarge the way you think, if you don't sow seeds that God can multiply God can't bless you. He says, I'll pour out the rain from heaven, but you've got to sow a seed into the ground. You've got to change the way you think. You've got to think about investing, not just spending. You've got to give God an opportunity to bless you and multiply you. The church has to change the way it thinks. That's why you come to church. One of the reasons you come, you come to worship God, but you come to get an upgrade in the way you think. You should go out today thinking differently than when you came in. Yeah? Yeah. Our prayer is that every time you come here, your your thinking is going to be challenged, that you're fed and you're nurtured and you're poked and you're prodded to think bigger and bigger and bigger. I'm not the same as what I was last year. 30, 60, 100 fold. Increase the way I think. Why is that important? Because I said, it's like God has a jumbo jet and we have a runway built for a Cessna. And God wants to bring his big thoughts, e.g., I'm going to bless you today, Andrew. I've got an opportunity today that's going to make you $10 million. I've got this opportunity. I've got this proposition. I've got this person to bring into your life. And, he, and he's speaking to my spirit, but my soul is so small 
that it can't even perceive that God would speak to me in that way. So we're operating, God's on FM and I'm on AM, Andrew McGrath. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're not communicating because his thoughts are on a different frequency. He's thinking big thoughts. My thoughts are not your thoughts. So I've got to tune to him. I've got to change my runway by believing bigger, reading the word, seeing what God says about me, that I'm qualified. I don't have to have an MBA to be blessed, that God can bless me just as I am. He blessed Joseph in prison. He can bless you where you are. God's not no respect of a person. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young, where you've come from, what education has. Nothing disqualifies you from God except unbelief. So we begin to increase ourselves. So then when God brings his jumbo jet, I can say, that's all right, Lord. Land here. Land here. Here I am on this runway. I'm, I'm listening. I'm ready. You can land anything you want in my soul because it's able to take the grandness of your thoughts. Wow. So what's flown into your airport this week? What great thoughts? What challenges? What concepts has God spoken to you about? What dreams have landed in your lap this week? Or has God been trying to speak to you this week and you've shut it down even subconsciously because you thought God could never bless me like that? So that was week two, and we all got excited about that. We talked about how the wealthy think and how the poor think. It's so different. The wealthy get an apple. Sorry, the poor get an apple and they eat it. The wealthy see in that apple seeds that can reproduce itself over and over and over again. If you haven't got that message, go on YouTube. You need to listen to that. So now we're up to week three. Isn't that exciting? I'm glad you're excited. So connect to the flow, increase the flow, and now we've got to find a means of releasing the flow into the field or the assignment that God has for us. And to understand why God has an assignment and what are the things that stop us from entering into that assignment? What are the battles that await us? What are the things that we need to do to prepare ourselves? I want to start with the premise that every person here today has a field from God around Paul calls it a metron in the Greek. It's an area of authority where God has called you to go in and to multiply. When the children of Israel came into the promised land, they were all, all, say all, all all assigned a territory. You today have an assignment from God where in that area, when you find it and discover it, there is multiplication awaiting you. Did you hear that? (laughs) Luke 19, 11. So we welcome you now, Holy Spirit, to take this word, to breathe on it, and to bring revelation that would change people, that they would leave this place knowing that they are called with an assignment to prosper and to be an answer to this city in Jesus' name. We give you all the honor, Father. Amen. All right. So Luke 19 deals with these three things about connecting to the flow in Jericho, about upgrades of thinking. And now we're looking at Luke 19.11 about the field. This is an amazing parable. Parables are doorways into the mystery of the kingdom. Parables are an invitation to dream with God. So are you ready? While they were listening to these things, Jesus told a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Jesus said a nobleman 
He's speaking of himself now. Went to a distant country, which is earth, to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called 10 of his slaves. It's a picture of the church, you and I. And he gave them 10 miners and said to them, do business or occupy with this until I come back. So God's given you a field, an assignment, a territory, an ability. And he said, I want you to take this and I want you to do business to occupy your realm that I've called you to live in. Did you hear that? But his citizens, the people of the city, so not his, not his people, but the citizens, those on the earth, they hated him. They detested him. So here's the good news. In your field of assignment, there is going to be pushback because there are people positioned by the devil to thwart, to push back on all the purposes of God in your field. And they sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to reign over us. You will not exercise kingly authority in this sphere, in this realm. This does not belong to you. And the church has said, by and large, okay, sorry about that. We'll just stay over here and we'll do our our little fates and our car boot sales and we'll try not to get in your face. We'll try not to talk about money or prosperity. Just, just leave us be and we'll just get on with our little, little assignment of seeing a few people saved, but we won't get involved in the affairs of the city. No longer! <laughs> Are you with me? Yeah. I rebuke that. I rebuke every thought that is like that. No longer! Stop it. Okay. That's in love for all of us. We do not want this man to reign over us. The enemy does not want you to have authority in this city. He does not want you to have money. Do you understand this? This is not about theology like whatever it's going to This is the enemy comes to you to actively resist you prospering and advancing. He wants you, even if you get a bit of money, to settle. We do not want this man to reign. Verse 15, I love this. But Jesus returned, having received the kingdom. Oh, well, I'm sorry that you don't want me to reign, but guess what? I'm going to anyway. He returned, having received the kingdom. Jesus will win. He has won. He has resistance, but he's only using that resistance to build the faith of God's people. It's like lifting up a weight and getting bigger muscles. He uses resistance to make us bigger, to cause us to occupy, to cause us to discover what's inside us. Resistance isn't so you will quit, it's so you'll become greater, bigger. And he ordered the slaves to whom he'd given the money. There's so much great stuff I'm about to share. It's, it's going to be amazing. And he ordered the slaves who had given money to be called so he might know what business they had done. He wants to know what you're going to do with the field that he's given you. There's coming a day that Jesus will say, what did you do with the assignment, with the great assignment I had over your life? Oh, I didn't know you had one. Oh. Well, the enemy said I shouldn't do that. Well, you know, my church taught that we shouldn't believe for great things. He's going to ask you, what did you do with the greatness I placed in you, with the kingdom? The first appeared and said, Master, your miner has made, your miner has made, your miner has made, your miner has made. Your miner has made. Ten more. 
And he said, well done, good slave, because you've been faithful in a little. See, our... I'll talk about that later. You're going to have authority over 10 cities. The connection between what we do with our money and the ability to increase it with our authority to father and to lead cities. The second came and said, Master, your mind has made five. He says, well done. You're able to have authority over five cities. Verse 20, another came and said, Master, here's your minor. I put it in a hanky because I was afraid of you. You're an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down. You reap what you did not sow. Really? I didn't know God was like that. He reaps what he doesn't sow. That, that sounds like something totally opposite to his kingdom. Whatever you perceive of God, that's what God becomes to you. If you see him as a hard taskmaster, as a man that wants to keep you, a God that wants to keep you poor, that's the God that you create for yourself. It doesn't change God. God will always be a good, loving, generous God. But your mind, your concepts of God restrict God's goodness flowing to you. So in a sense, God becomes a small, mean God. You create a God in your own mind and likeness. He buried him in a hanky. This word hanky is the same word for napkin that they placed in the face of Jesus. He buried his minor in a napkin. This napkin was placed over faces of the deceased, particularly when they were disfigured. So Jesus was beaten and bruised and battered, so they placed the napkin over his face. He hid the minor in a napkin. In a false identity, we, we turn the face of a loving father into a disfigured face of an angry God that wants to keep you poor and mean. His whole concept was wrong. He put his minor, all that God had given him, into a theology that totally disfigured who God was to this generation. Mm. So this parable gives us a clear strategy to disciple a city. The secret of having authority over the cities lies in our ability to understand the power of wealth. You cannot disciple a city without understanding the power of wealth. Jesus very clearly brings the two together in this parable. Master, your miner has made 10 more. Did you hear that? He figured out how money works for you instead of you working for money. There's something about figuring out how money works for you and not you working for money, that if you do it God's way in the kingdom, it positions you now to have authority over cities. Proverbs 16.32 says, if you have authority or rule over your inner world, you have authority over cities. Proverbs is connecting your ability to rule and to multiply in your own world with the ability to rule and multiply over cities. Jesus is saying this parable... If you and I can create a system where money makes money, you can have authority over cities. Did you hear that? Is this actually going on? If you can create a system, a kingdom system, if you can work out in your field how to multiply money, Jesus is saying here, I'll give you authority over cities. So you're telling me, Andrew, that if I can multiply what God has given me, I have authority over cities? Yes, I'm telling you, if you multiply what you have, God will give you authority over cities. Are you sure? Yes, that's what Jesus said. God's calling his people to a wealth mindset to lead cities because he wants cities to prosper. That's right. Yes. 
Our ability to make wealth in our field is for the benefit of the city. So he raises up his people. See, this is what he did with Joseph. He's a man that knows how to get money to work for him. So when he's asleep, they're bringing in all the money, all the food. And God says, because you, you've discovered the keys of blessing and authority, I'm going to give you authority over a city. Why? Because God's heart's for the city. And he raises up men and women that know how to multiply what they have because money in their hands will nurture and disciple a city. That's right. Is this making yeah. sense? Yeah. So when God restores us, we have a responsibility to restore our city. Isaiah 61 tells us that. So how do we multiply our miners in preparation to rule over cities? I'm glad you asked me that. Because the keys are found as Joshua walks into Jericho. God shows us what we need to do to multiply what we have to take the ground. So are you ready? Why don't you turn quickly with me to Joshua 5.10. And we'll plough through this. Now the children of Israel, Joshua 5.10, camped at Gilgal. And they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover. They've been in the wilderness, bread from heaven. They come into the promised land. That all stops. And all of a sudden, after the Passover, there's a whole new system. They are now eating from the land. The manna ceased on the day after they'd eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel had no longer manna, for they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and there was a man that stood opposite him with a great big sword, drawn in his hand. And Joshua said to him, Are you for us? Or are you for our enemy? And the commander said, No, I have come as the commander of the army of the Lord. Isn't it interesting that Right through scripture, when money is talked about, God comes as the Lord of the hosts. In Malachi chapter 3, three times, he reveals himself as the Lord of hosts. There's a war going on over your money and the money coming to you because the enemy knows that if money gets to you, you're able to disciple a whole city. So very quickly, let's look at this. Before they could go into their inheritance, their take their field, multiply it. They had to circumcise the males at Gilgal. Circum at Gilgal is a wheel. And that Gilgal literally means there's a turnaround moment. Did you hear that? Before they go into their field, they circumcise all the males at Gilgal because Gilgal represents God bringing us into a turnaround moment. Yeah. See, what happens in our lives as God teaches us about finance, we come into turnaround moments where we see things that we've never seen before. It's not, it's not just someone giving you money. There is a shift in the way you see things and think. I know turnaround moments. I can list them where God has come and I've never been the same again. And I know there's been a shift inside me and a new ability to take possession of the land that God has given me. He says, and I want you to eat the Passover. Passovers are connected with change, with transition. God's saying that there's a transition, a turnaround moment in our lives, and God brings them over and over and over again as he positions us for our field. Are you hearing this? Yeah. This is really important. Because yeah. as you go to take your field, 
You're not just going to walk into it. God is going to bring turnaround moments and upgrades and shifts so you're prepared for increase. God leads us in phases, in seasons, in chapters, in gears. It's like shifting gears in a car. My car's got a seven-speed auto and I can see it sometimes stuck in fifth or sixth and the revs are going up and all of a sudden it ticks over to number seven and we're in cruise mode. And we take a whole new, I don't speed of course, but we, we go into a whole new stratosphere because I've shifted gears. And what was straining in the past is now easy. Are you hearing that? I can accomplish the same with less effort because I've moved gears. Huh. Now I'm looking for a nine-speed auto. Each new phase demands a new response. That I learn new things. This here was Israel's third Passover. They were moving to new gears. So when we come into our land, you need to understand that as you approach it, God's shifting gears, shifting gears, shifting gears, causing you to see things. Oh, I used to be stuck in a poverty mindset. Now I've shifted the gear and I believe that God wants to bless me. Oh, now I've changed another gear and I see that it's more blessed to give than receive. Oh, I've moved into a new gear. I've discovered the power of tithing. I don't need to worry about my finances. God's warring for me. Wow, I've got into ninth gear and now I'm in cruise mode. And while I'm sleeping, I look at my bank. When I wake up in the morning, my bank accounts, accounts increased and I've done nothing for it. I'm earning more now through my investments than when I work. Now my, my work is now just a seed. Wow, I'm into 12th gear now. This is what they were doing. They were shifting gears, getting ready for their field. In the first pass, so there are three. This is their third Passover before they go into their field of assignment, before it all begins to break open. They're shifting gears. In the first Passover, they went from slavery to freedom. Exodus 13. Overnight, God shuts one door and opens another. They're in slavery. It's a picture of us before we're born again. And God shifted a gear and we got born again. Wow. If you don't know Jesus today, shift gears. Come into the kingdom. Jesus is wonderful. If you're listening to my voice, hear this. God loves you and he wants you to come into the kingdom. He's an amazing plan for your life. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. He'll deal with the past. He'll bring you into the son of his love. There's so much more for it. They shifted gear. And in that Passover, they ate the bread of affliction, reminding of them all the past. In the second Passover, they shift from freedom to wandering. Now they've gone from slavery and they're wandering around the desert. They're free, but they don't own anything. So they've come out of the kingdom of darkness and they're free, but they haven't discovered the laws of the kingdom. So they're free, but they're working hard. There's divine supply. They get up. Manna comes from heaven. Wow, this is amazing. The clothes don't wear out, so they don't need to go to Tommy Hilfiger anymore. It's the same clothes every day. It's an easy life. God supplies all my needs. I get just what I need. When I have a need, there's a miracle that comes the next day, and I just get just enough. Not enough, now just enough. The majority of believers camp in the wilderness. So they can't possess the promised land because they're still celebrating the second Passover. We once were slaves, but now we're free to wander. Tomorrow, the man is 40 years. 
Imagine getting up in the morning, manna. What's for breakfast, love? Manna. What's for breakfast, love? Manna. It's a good life. In the manna generation, you don't fight and you don't know how to sow or reap. You don't know how to take occupation. It's the man with the hanky. He buries what he has because he doesn't know how to occupy, to take and to fight. In the third Passover, God says to Joshua, it's a new season. From wandering to occupation. This is when you begin to take your field. See, they, they discovered God had an inheritance for them, an assignment for them. They go from just sitting in the pew each week, singing nice songs, just battling to get by, to when they leave, I'm on an assignment. I've got a field to take this week. I'm after the enemy. I'm after taking back all that he's stolen. I'm after gathering so much that I, be, I begin to be an influence in this city. When there are problems, they come to me because I've got wealth and influence. Do you see the shift? Yeah. Wow! In the ninth gear and cruising. From wandering to occupation. Isn't it interesting because this is what Jesus said, ask, seek and knock. Ask to get into the kingdom. Seek in the wilderness. God's dealing with all the limiting thoughts and we knock because we're getting to occupy. We go from nice Christians to savage warriors. Give me back what belongs to me. The earth is the Lord's. They ate the bread of affliction. They ate the bread of heaven. And now they're eating the food of the land. Isn't it interesting? The same God who opened up the heavens to supply our needs is now opening up the earth to meet our needs. The same God that opens up the heavens and gives us a miracle is now opening up the earth to meet our needs. We go from being dependent to being a partner. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, except nothing flows until it grows. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, but nothing flows until it grows. So I say that again. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, but nothing flows until it first grows. It's a shift of gear. God's not performing a miracle. He can do that and he does that. But it's a shift of gear where my provision is based on what grows in the ground. If you want to eat now, you don't look to heaven, you look to the earth. God's given you wisdom and ability. He wants to partner. This is about sonship. This is about standing with God to partner in changing the world. This is a whole shift of how we think. This is not saying, I don't need you, God. Now, this is, listen, listen. This is like a child and a son. A father with a child provides everything. Slops on the table, changes their nappy, put them to bed. But as the child gets older, the joy of the father is to now partner and not provide everything. We're a working partnership. God's giving Israel more control over their lives and destiny. See, God is not some sort of control freak that wants to take every bit of free thought and, and productivity out of your life. He wants you to learn. First, we learn our dependence on him, your spiritual head. Now I learn to think like him. Wow. 
And now I'm learning to partner with him. Are you seeing this? The new phase is about battles and not manner. Joshua sees a man with a sword. He says, I'm here as a commander of the army of the Lord. And your new morning miracle is no longer manner. Your new morning miracle is victory over your enemy. Did you hear that? No longer will you look up there, but I've come. I've come in a new realm. And God is coming to his church with a new mandate. And if you keep going out looking for manna, God's not there anymore. God's not, God's not there for so many of you. And it's, it's like God's not angry with you. He's just changed gear. It's a new season. And he's leading his people from total dependency on manna from heaven to looking for the commander with a sword in his hand. He says, good morning, Andrew. Ready to rumble? There's your field. Go for it. And I am with you. The sign that you've entered your inheritance is in the battles that you fight. And may I say, if you're not fighting any battles, you may still be in the wilderness. And if battles are multiplying, it's likely that you're where God wants you to be. So we don't look for the manna every morning. We look for the man with the sword in his hand. We're almost finished. Joshua 6, 1. And Jericho, Jericho, let's change gears, was securely shut because of the children of Israel. No one went in, no one went out. Listen to this. And the commander of the army says, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. Listen, with its king. And with his mighty men of valor. I have given you, see, I've given you the city, the king, and all the mighty men. See, I've given you the city, the king, and the mighty men. Get this wrong, you won't take your land. I've shifted gears. Now, now I've taken you from the manna mindset to a battle mindset. You wake up in the morning not looking for manna, but looking for the man with the sword. You're not crying, God. And look, there's a season for that. So I'm not demeaning anyone that you're in a season where you need a miracle. There's a place for that. But change gears. Stay in that realm, but move forward. There were three Passovers, deliverance. The Passover in the wilderness where they wandered and they discovered God had to kill all, let all the old men die. All the old thinking to a whole lot of new men came with new thinking. So there's a, there's a season. But now they've shifted gear and they're in the battle season. They're taking land. It's just making sense. So Joshua's praying, Lord, how do I take it? And God says, see, I've given you the city, the king, and the mighty men. Thank you, Lord, for that. First, before you fight, you've got to see that that's your inheritance. And God's speaking to people saying, I've given you an inheritance. Some of you may not yet see it, but that's the first thing he does. He opens your eyes to see your field. Everyone has a field. Everyone has a field. Everyone has a field to defend, to battle for. Don't copy someone else. Don't don't say, well, you know, 
you know, Joe's got a, a field and he's making money hand over fist. He sleeps and money works for him. So I, I'll go in that field. You go in that field and you'll get taken out. When they went into to the promised land, Moses and, jo- and Joshua assigned a field to each person. You don't get to pick. God's already picked. You get to discover what God's picked. You get to discover where there's an anointing and an unction and ability. And you keep looking and searching and all of a sudden it will come alive and it will say, that's my field. And you'll know. How will you know? Because God will tell you. God will speak to you about that field. God will wake you up in the night. He'll give you dreams about the field. He'll give you, he said, I'll open up the windows of opportunity of heaven. That's what it means. And I'll pour out a blessing on that field. No blessing, not your field. God's got a field. Say with me, God has a field for me. And I am going to find it. Yeah, you will. So you've got to see, I've given you a business. I've given you a house. See that. I've given you a field. You will overcome. You will be prosperous. I have already given it to you. You see, when, when Jesus told this parable, he, it was as good as done. There was resistance, but he came anyway. You've got to know that God has already made a way. And the battles you're fighting aren't to get the victory the victory's already come. You're getting to experience the victory in the battle. Yeah. Jesus has already won the battle. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Yeah. The Jews know he starts from the end and then he comes back to the beginning. Yeah. The end is already written for you. You've won. Now you engage in a fight where you know you've already won. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you're going to see that. So my job, like Isaac in the fields, is to meditate. God, show me. And you know what will happen? I will get glimpses, literal glimpses of seeing myself on on a road. I saw that and I was in a car. It was a brand new, expensive European car. And I was in a three-piece suit with my, that's unusual, with a phone. And I was doing deals. I pulled over because that's what you do when the phone rings. And I saw myself in a vision in the future. And I thought, that's me. I better get a new car. It gave me faith to start changing, to moving. You will get glimpses. You begin to see. I see myself expanding. All my children being blessed. I see them going and being key decision makers in this nation. I see that. You go, you go, silly old man. No, 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 no. Because... God said to jo- Joshua, see. See to Abraham, walk around all the areas that I've given you. See. Abraham didn't walk around physically. He walked around it in his mind. It was too big to walk around. See. So for your field, God gives you a field and you begin to see yourself as the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. I've given you the city, physical Property, tangible assets, influence. I have given you. God's given you physical attributes. I don't have time to go into this, but it's amazing. Maybe another day. But God has shown me that this might sound weird, but literal creation, literal creation 
is groaning. For the sons of God to come into freedom and then to invite, it says, and to invite creation into that freedom. So physical, everything God made is longing for you to get your act together and me to get my act together, to think the thoughts of God because it's in slavery and it needs to be brought into freedom. So Jesus talks about the house that's occupied by the enemy. And we can't kick the enemy out until someone stronger comes. So the, 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 the land is occupied by a thief. And he's looking for someone. To, the land's looking for someone to set it free. And so as we grow, we begin to draw that which is bound into the kingdom, both people and physical property. For the earth is the Lord's, and he never gave it away. Everything the enemy has, he has by stealing it. He has no legal access authority to the earth. How do I know that? Because Jesus said, I am the door. The enemy that came in is a thief and he didn't come in through the door. He snuck in another way. That's why Jesus had to come in through the womb of a woman. He came in through the door called humanity. Satan never came in that way. So everything that he holds now, he holds as a thief and a robber. And so everything that's under his power is longing for its true owner to come and set it free. That's how you need to think. As you walk down the street of the city, you begin to say, Everything around here belongs to my Father. He alone is the Creator. The earth is the Lord's. He has given it to to men to manage, His children. So I say, you come back. You come into your freedom and be who God called you to be. Land, you begin to give glory. Rocks cry out to the glory of God. Every bit of land, you bring honour. Let that which was of the devil uh, manipulated, every house of destruction where it's, it's, it's giving glory to gambling or whatever it might be, you come back into your rightful design. It's groaning under slavery because there's a thief standing on it expressing a dark nature. And we call into the atmosphere and we rip it back into the kingdom. Is this making sense? Wow. Oh, I'll have a bit of that. Does that make sense? Are you kidding me? It's amazing, isn't it? Oh, I'm excited. Listen, I've given you a city and I've given you a king. A city without taking a king is pointless. The spiritual entity that, that controls access to the wealth. Listen, because... This is what I've come up against, literally. I don't want to freak you out or be weird, but when we've gone in to take authority in our field, that very night I've told some of you, demonic spirits have come back into our house in retaliation saying, you get away from what we... People have come. People with possessed by demonic spirits have come angry and agitated because we're stepping into our field. I've seen it. They have manifested in the street and say, I know who you are and I know what you're about. Say, thank you, because I know who I am and I know what I'm about too. And you don't intimidate me. He says, I've given you the king. Spiritual entities that control. See, what you need to understand, the field that you're going into, over that field is a demonic stronghold, a king that holds the access. And so you go in understanding that when you wake up, you don't need manna. You need a man with a sword. 
she'd wake up saying, Father, I thank you that you've given me Jesus. He is my shield and my sword. And as I go into this field, I go in as a son and daughter of the Most High God and I go in to take back all that belongs to you. Man, I won't do that. A sword does that. You cut down his works. He wants, enemy wants you to be drip fed on manna for the rest of your life. God wants to put a sword in your hand. Ah. Kings determine who come in and out of the city. They control the atmosphere. That's why we're in a battle to get the wealth because the king knows that we don't belong to him. That's why you struggle to get money and influence because the stronghold over that realm doesn't want you to get it because he's threatened. If you get it, you'll exercise kingdom control. So that battle you feel is the enemy pushing back saying, you're not one of us and you can't get it. Those closed doors is because the enemy is threatened by you. So you get a big sword and you cut down the door. Beyond the physical is a spiritual power that controls access to wealth and he gives it to whoever he likes. Satan said that to Jesus. But God has said, I've given you the city. And every spiritual entity that controls the wealth. So begin to take your sword. Wake up in the morning and say, thank you, Jesus, that as I go into my field, Jesus comes with me with a sword in his hand. Be conscious of that. I've given you a city, a king, and the mighty men. Here's the thing. The king had physical representatives who take command of that industry. Operating under the direction of the king, and they are assigned, the parable says, to resist and contend with us. There are people, and we don't take out our, our anger on people. We take it out on the enemy. But the enemy assigns people to actively resist you. And so you'll be in your workplace and you should get that, that promotion. You know, you've worked for those that have worked and you should be. And sometimes there's active resistance. Sometimes you're trying to get a breakthrough in this realm, but there's active resistance because the king assigns people. Karen and I have seen that physically. People come and actively resist. They probably don't even know they're doing that. But there's this contending. And he says, I've given you the city, the king, and the mighty men. You have authority over the spirits that are controlling those people contending. And, you know, when they try to put you down, God's going to make a way. He did that for Esther and Mordecai. Let's put an AI in the end. The enemy tried to resist them and crush them. And God came with a sword and he chopped down the works of the enemy. And what's the evil man's name? Somebody help me. Haman was hung on the very gallows designed for Mordecai. God is able. So you take your field, multiply your wealth, and know that God has given you the city, the king, and the mighty men. Go into your field this week as a prosperous son and daughter of the Most High God. God is upgrading you, shifting gears, causing you to think different, causing you to see now, I don't just need manna, I need a sword. I, that, that realm that was snatched from me, I'm going back. Some of you have put your nose into a field and it was yours, but the enemy's pushed back. God's saying, go back again now with the sword. You were trying to go into that field with manna. You had a manna mindset when you needed a warrior mindset. Go back for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. God has given you weapons to use of faith 
and of revelation and of persistence and perseverance. He's able to make you the head and not the tail above and not beneath. Church, you are called to inherit your field. And I want to say to you today that if you stay in the wilderness, you will go to heaven. God will always love you, but you will miss it. You have buried your little coin in a hanky. You have disfigured the face of Jesus. You've turned the Savior with a sword in his hand to one with a bottle of milk in his hand. And yes, he is that, but he's high in that. He came as the Lamb of God, but he's no longer just the Lamb of God. He is the King of glory who's coming on a horse, coming with a sword in his hand. King of kings and Lord of lords, they will shout for his name. So you've got a field to go and inherit and possess and to occupy. And as you do that, you bring the kingdom of heaven to this city. God multiplies you because he's getting you ready to have authority over the city for the sake of the city in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Give the Lord a hand today. Yeah. Woohoo!